ever-present God, is what we're going to call that today, the ever-present God. And this message has to deal with God's, obviously, His omnipresence, or all-presence, or His ever-presence, that He's everywhere at the same time, all the time, and there's never a time that He's not there, if you will. (laughs) God is everywhere all the time. And uh, we're going to see that today, how that brings about two important aspects in our life. Number one, it brings about a great encouragement. It brings about a great encouragement to our lives, a great comfort to our hearts and to our souls to know that the Lord says, I will never leave thee, nor what? Forsake thee. That's a great encouragement to us, and it should be. And then there's another thing that we're going to see this morning, another point about his omnipresence, his ever-present being is this, is that it also brings about a great conviction. And it should, that we are always before the Lord in everything that we do, and we'll see some of these aspects this morning, and as we look into this message, the ever-present God. You've got your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter number 4. Let's just grab a, a slight bit of context here and go up the page a little bit into verse number 12. And let us see, first of all, what the Bible says about the Word of God. The Bible says that the Word of God is quick. That means it's alive. The Bible that you hold in your hand today is not a dead book, it's an alive book. It's the only book that you can read 15 times, 16 times, 116 times over again and get something different every single time. And not only get something different, but something that will apply to your daily life and uh, something that will encourage you, strengthen you, convict you, or comfort you in your life. This book is alive. You can read uh, any other novel that you want to, but you will not find that it is alive. Uh, You might grab some new details that you missed in the first time, but I'll tell you right now, this book here is alive. It's alive. And it is quick, it's powerful, it's sharper, it says, than any two-edged sword, piercing even unto the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And of the joints and marrow is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And why is that? It's because it's God's word. That's why. And God's word is alive because God is alive. And because God is alive, he is everywhere at all times, and he knows all things, and he's all-powerful, and, uh, and we see that just in this one little verse. But the verse I want to highlight for you is verse 13. It says, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, that is not open before him. That is the word manifest there. It means to be open before him. There's nothing that is not open before him that he sees. He sees all. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He says, everything is open to God. It is laid out before him. There are no skeletons in the closet with God, if you will. Uh, He sees all, knows all, and perceives all. And I know of no other doctrine that is so simultaneously comfort and yet also simultaneously dreadful at the exact same time. To think that God is with me at all times, as Jesus says, "I I I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. To think it is a sweet relief to me, as Psalm 46, 7 says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Those are great and comforting verses, but nothing bruises my ego and challenges my pride like verses from the book of Job where he says to think, For his eyes are upon the ways of man, and he seeth all his goings. There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. There's no place where anybody may hide from God, thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance, Psalm 90 and verse number 8. 
And then to read in Romans 2.16, it says, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men, that is all people, by Jesus Christ according to my gospel, brings terror to my soul. But I want us to see today as we look at this ever-present God, that though it may be convicting and though it may be challenging, that there is a great comfort to this, and I believe that it will be a great help to us just to meditate today a little bit on our God. I want us to first of all have your Bibles handy because I will have you turn to a couple of places here and maybe you'd like to highlight some things here as we go through our scriptures today. But number one, I want us to understand his presence. I want us to first of all just understand a little bit about this ever-present God and who he is. Who is this God? Who is this God of the Bible? Well, he is the Father. He is the Son and he is the Holy Spirit. These three are one. All three persons of the Trinity are present no matter uh, where it may be, they are all three there at all times. They are together at all times. The devils do not have this power. The angels do not have this power. We obviously do not have this power. Uh, I can, uh, we oftentimes say, uh, I, you know, when somebody gets on to us, they say, hey, why aren't you doing this over here? Why aren't you doing this over there? Why, why aren't you taking care of this? What do we say? I can't be in two places at the what? Same time. But God has never said that statement, right? God is in all places, at all times, everywhere. The Satan does not have this power. Uh, Though he may be able to move quickly, he cannot be in all places at all times because he is not God. This is a perfection of God that is given to God alone. God is the only being that has this perfection. And this perfection that is attributed not just to God the Father, but to God the Son, and also to God's Holy Spirit. And we believe that all of these three are one. And if we're honest with ourselves, and we believe the Bible, uh, that we would actually have to even say that God even sees our hearts and knows us in our inner selves, even in places that we do not see and do not even know. Because God is everywhere. Who is ever-present? Well, the Bible teaches us that the eyes of the Lord in Proverbs 15.3, and Luke brought this out in his Bible lesson this morning, is that in Proverbs 15.3, maybe it'd be easier, maybe if you didn't turn to all the passages, but it might be better if you just wrote the passages down, because I will go through these rather quickly in some of these places, but in some places I may actually have you turn, like I will want you to turn right now to John 3.13, to John 3.13. Because I want you to see this very important verse on Jesus being omnipresent. But first of all, let's notice this, that the Father God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Proverbs 15, 13. Now, does that mean that God has eyes, okay? Or that God has these eyes that are, you know, ever moving all over the place? Are we, are we in some kind of sci-fi movie this morning where we're like the eyes of God are in here on us and we don't really see them, but they're actually, there's two eyeballs floating around in here? Is that what we're saying here this morning? No, God in his word, in his graciousness, I believe, and in his mercy, uh, and his, um, yeah, definitely his mercy, understanding how the kids aren't in here, too, or at least one of them, most of them aren't. But how stupid we are, okay? Uh, the only way they could be able to understand who God is is he had to put things down in language that we can understand, right? So God understands that we uh, can only stand language that we can understand, and that is eyes of the Lord, that God sees everything. The Father is omnipresent. Secondly, you're there in John 3.13. 
let us see this, that Jesus Christ is omnipresent. For the Bible tells us this, it says, And no man hath ascended up to heaven. Okay? What is he saying there? He's telling us that, in the, uh, it's explained over in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, but he's telling us that nobody goes up to heaven and is able to come back down to heaven. Nobody has this ability. Uh, there was a passage over in the book of Genesis where, De- where Jacob falls asleep, and he falls asleep, and he wakes up, and he has this dream, and he sees a, a ladder, and he sees the angels of God ascending and descending on this ladder, going back and forth to heaven. And here Jesus is saying, no man has this power to go up to heaven and to come down back down to earth as he wills and as he pleases. Nobody can do that. But listen to what he says. He says in, G- in John 3.13, no man hath ascended up to heaven. But he that came down from heaven, even, what does he say, the Son of Man, presently, which is in where? Heaven. Does that not blow your mind for just a moment? That the Son of Man, that's Jesus' favorite term for himself. Jesus' favorite term, his favorite term, his favorite name for himself is the Son of Man. He says, the Son of Man is the only one that is able to freely go to heaven to freely come back down to earth no man can do this he says even the son of man which is now presently in heaven do you understand that i don't understand that (laughs) i mean how can he be present but also be in heaven at the exact same time well it's simple he's god and there's nothing that holds God into time. And Luke talked about that very, he put that very pointedly this morning and very descriptively. There is no limit on God. He is imminent and transcendent at the exact same time. He's tangible yet untangible. He is intangible. He is not able to be touched, but yet he is also able to be touched. And this is being seen most presently and most perfectly in his son, Jesus Christ. But also we find that the spirit of God is, present, or is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. For the Bible says, for there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one, 1 John 5, 7, and 8. The Spirit of God is omnipresent because here he says, and he makes it clear that the Spirit of God is able to bear witness in heaven and also in earth at the exact same time. God is omnipresent. Where are they at, though, you say? Where are they at? Well, yeah, I've... I hope I made that plain. They're everywhere. But let's just look at what the Bible says of where they're at. Write this verse down. Jeremiah 23 and verse number 24. Can any hide himself in the secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth? God is in the earth, saith the Lord. He says in Jeremiah 23, 24. He says, I fill the heavens and the earth. Uh, Randy brought me a glass of water, and he filled it up. Didn't fill it up to the top. That was, that was a good thing. Thank you, Randy, right there. I appreciate it. They didn't spill it all over my notes and all over my Bible and everything. That would have been a terrible thing. But think about this cup right here and filling it up to the brim and letting it overflow. Think about that. Let this, let this cup illustrate just let it, let it illustrate earth. God fills up earth. He's everywhere. There's no place that he is not. He is everywhere at all times. He is in heaven. Psalm 11.4, what does it say? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. He's everywhere. And from heaven, he says, his eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. Well, is God in hell? That's a big question. Is God in hell? 
Job 26.6, hell is naked before him, and destruction hath no covering. David said, if I make my bed in hell, thou art with me. God is in hell. He is everywhere, my friend. He sees all, knows all, and is there in the midst of everything. You say, is he suffering in hell? He's not suffering there, but he is there. He has to be because he's ever-present. He's always everywhere at the same time. Now, some of these things bother us, maybe, perhaps. They bother us when we consider evil, do they not? Uh, we, consider, we consider very evil things and evil people, and we say to ourselves, how in the world can God still remain and not do something whenever there is great evil in this world? Or how can God remain in the place of hell, though he's so holy? How can God do all of these things? Uh, these things because he cannot separate himself from who he is he is omnipresent that is who he is he can't separate himself from his being he can't say well I'm going to not be omnipresent anymore even the son of man said "I, I am both here and I will be crucified here but yet I am also in heaven at the exact same time now my friend I do not possibly and you cannot possibly understand all these things I cannot because I am not omnipresent. But we have to also agree with God's word. You say, well, I don't agree with God's word on those things, and I just don't see how God could do, 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 do this, be these things and do these things and stay in these places and see these things and be in those things. The problem is this, is that how do you answer, uh, an answer, how do you answer somebody like that? Well, you answer them simply with this. You simply say to them, either you believe God's word or you don't. Either you believe, even if, if many times our 21st century thinking co- does not coincide with God's word. And so every single time that our 21st century thinking does not coincide with God's word or contradicts God's word, are we going to throw out God's word or are we going to throw out our thinking? We need to throw out our thinking. We need to believe the Bible. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. His word is alive. He is in our hearts and in our minds. We quote this verse a lot, but we need to do better at quoting the second part of the verse. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. But look what verse 10 says. It says, I the Lord search the hearts, I try the reins. Even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. God sees everything and knows everything for he is in all places at all times. Understand his presence. Let's notice secondly the understanding of his presence. But let us notice secondly that we are underneath his comfort. Now turn if you will, if you will over to the book of Joshua chapter number 1 and verse number 9. Joshua chapter number 1 in verse number 9. There is no creature that is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom we have to, uh, all, all are naked and open to the eyes of wh- with whom we have to do. You see, we're all before him. We're all standing before him here this morning. We're all in front of him, but that should bring a level of comfort. Joshua chapter number 1 in verse number 9. Now Joshua is in a fix here. His great leader, Moses, is dead. And because he is dead, now Joshua is in charge. And because Joshua is in charge, it seems to be that according to Joshua chapter number 1 and also Deuteronomy chapter number, I believe it is, uh, 33, that you find that Joshua is a little bit afraid. And good reason so. 
if suddenly you were thrust into leadership over two million, three million people, uh, I would be afraid too. Uh, and so Joshua is thrust into this leadership because of the death of Moses, and now he must stand before God, before these people. He must be the one that gives the account. He must lead these people into the promised land. And this is what God says to them. He says, have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. Now, if God had ended there, that would have been a direct command of God, and he would have obeyed God. Does that make sense? If God would have ended there at the middle part of verse number 9, then, jo- then Joshua would have had no choice. He would, have, he would have needed to obey the direct command of God and do as God says. And sometimes God does not always give us a reason behind the command, but he expects us to obey what he has asked us to do. But oftentimes he does give us a reason too, amen? But look at verse number 9. The, uh, the rest of the verse says this. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Wherever you go, Joshua, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed. Uh, Have not I commanded thee, be strong, be of a courage. Go do what I've commanded you to do. Go fight those uh, wicked people. Rush them out of the land and earn the pla- and go ahead and, and fight them and get to the place where I have told you to go to because I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I am with thee whithersoever thou goest. And my friend, that ought to be a comfort to us this morning in whatever God commands us to do to understand that he is with us whithersoever. What a great word that is. Use that at work next week, okay? Whithersoever, you know. Uh, Wherever you're at, whithersoever you go. I mean, I am with thee. Why is that? Because I'm omnipresent. I'm omnipresent. God is present everywhere. That means a couple of things. Number one, it means you can pray everywhere. Amen? Where was Hannah at when she prayed? She was in the temple. You say, I have to be in a temple. I have to be in a tabernacle. I have to be in the front of the throne room of God. No, you don't have to be, but you can be. Here she was in the tabernacle. She was praying to God. She was beseeching God. She was begging God for a son. She was right there in the tabernacle, right there in front of the high priest. And the high priest Eli came to her and with a prophetic word spoken to her and told her that she would have a son. She prayed to God. How did she pray to God? Did anybody else remember another aspect of her prayer? How did she pray to God? Did she pray out loud? No, she did not because Eli thought that she was drunk because her lips were moving, but she was not saying anything. All right? A very unusual occurrence right here. But nonetheless, she was speaking to God in her heart. God is everywhere. Remember, he is even in our hearts, knowing what our hearts are saying. He knows all things. He is able to discern them. But then on the flip side, Hagar, Abraham's concubine, she's thrust out, and she goes to God, and she prays. Where is she at? She's in a desert. So you have one lady in a tabernacle in front of God, seemingly, and you have another lady on the backside of a desert, and she's praying to God. Both of them are in the exact same place, the presence of God. The presence of God. You can be on your job and you can pray. You can be at your house and you can pray. You can be anywhere you want to be, you can pray. You ought to pray here because God is here. 
You ought to pray everywhere because God is everywhere. We can ask God anything and pray anywhere because why? Because God is Mary, whenever she went and to praise the Lord, she prayed there in her aunt's house. God heard Peter whenever he prayed on top of a rooftop. God is everywhere. And as you are praying, go ahead and turn your Bibles over to the book of Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 26. Remember I mentioned to you that the Holy Spirit of God is ever-present. He is also included in the Trinity. He is also just as much God as the Father and the Son. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 26. Now notice what the Spirit of God does here in our prayers. Because he is ever-present, we see a wonderful quality about the Spirit of God. A wonderful aspect of God's glory here, of the Spirit's glory. Romans 8, 26. He says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For when we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, and he searcheth the hearts And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, did you see that? The Spirit of God actually helps us to pray. Have you ever been to a spot where you're praying, and you're, maybe, that's why he says, likewise, the Spirit also helps with our infirmities. You ever been to a spot where you're praying, and it really just is too overwhelming to pray anymore? I mean, it's just overwhelming. And you go, and Lord, and you don't even know what to say. You know who knows your heart at that moment? The Spirit of God. He knows your heart, and he knows how to pray for you. I've even, I've even heard some term this, and I believe it's an, accurate, it's an accurate thought here in verses 26 and 27, is that actually the Spirit of God is your translator in your prayers. He's the one translating your prayers to God. He's the one delivering them to the Lord. He's the one bringing them up before his throne in the way and the manner in which they should be. Even there are times, I'm sure, even, think about this, even the most holy and most righteous and most godly saint that is out there, all right, them praying before an all-holy God, what is that? What is that? Our words are so inept. Our words are so limited. Our our vocabulary is, is so short and brief in comparison to who really God is. God is limitless. But yet God in his grace gave us his spirit in order that he may intercede for us even in the times when we have literally no words to say. Why? Because he's ever present. That ought to bring a great comfort to us. But not only that, but, the, but not only the Spirit, but also Jesus Christ prays for us. For the Bible says, For Christ entered not into holy places made with hands, which are figures of the truth, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. God, Jesus Christ, is right there before us. And because he is everywhere, you can pray anywhere. Because he is everywhere, he will protect you everywhere. Everywhere you go. I think of David, that scrawny little shepherd boy. I mean, there he is on the backside of the desert, and he's protected by God from a lion and a bear. And God protects him. God watches over him. I've met people sometimes, and I've met Christians that worry about their families, 
They worry about uh, they worry about the weather. They worry about the road conditions. They worry about uh, whatever it might be. They worry about is God going to be able to take care of me during this financial crisis? Is is God going to be able to uh, what's what's going to happen through all of these uh, difficult times that we're facing facing right there? My friend, you need not worry because God in His omnipresence, He protects you too. That's part of His omnipresence. His protection abides upon those that are believers. But in 1 Samuel 17, David is faced with a Goliath, literally. And I'm really excited about Vacation Bible School. Let me put a plug in on Vacation Bible School here right now. We are having giants that we face in Vacation Bible School, and I'm looking forward to it. We're going to have a Goliath, all right? More to come on that right there. We're going to have a Goliath in here. I don't know how we're going to get him in here, but he's going to be in here. And I might have to have him right here in the middle. But uh, we'll have him in here. And uh, I'm looking forward. He is an ugly guy. Man, I've seen him already. He is so ugly. I mean, if you woke up next to this guy right there, you would just, you would, you'd, I mean, destiny would just pass out and die. I mean, I mean, this guy is ugly. Vacation Bible school. Looking forward to it. He had killed a lion, he had killed a bear, but listen to his epic statement. Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. He says, I don't come to you here with sword and spear or shield. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. He says, God is with me right now presently as I am speaking to you, and he is going to protect me. And my friend, if you're following in God's will and God's way and God's uh, purpose in life, you can say the exact same thing. You don't have to worry, fret, or fear. God is with you. And because God is present everywhere, let me say this to you this morning. I haven't dealt with this much, but I want to put this in here because it's very important. Have you ever called upon the Lord to save you? To save you. You see, God is everywhere at all times, and that means this simple, this simple promise, that anybody that will call upon the name of the Lord, he will hear them because he's right there beside of them. God is not a God that is far off, nor a God that cannot hear or cannot see. He is everywhere at all times. Now, Jonah was not calling out to God necessarily for eternal salvation, but he called out to God to save him. In the most desperate place of all, in the belly of a well. And my friend, if God is in the belly of a well, then where else is God? He's everywhere at all times. It doesn't matter where you're at. You say, some people think that they got to get saved in a church. I've talked to people, well, I just need, I'll just wait till church. You don't have to get saved in a church, but you could get saved in a church. You don't have to get saved at any, you can, get, you can ask God for help anywhere. You can be, some have been in prison. I spoke to one man that was in a, in a tractor, and he asked God to save him. Some have been in prison. Some have been in pits. Some have been in the church. Some have been in an office building. Myself, I was in a fire sprinkler room whenever God saved me. Uh, you can be anywhere, my friend. If you've never called out to Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, then, my friend, call out to him today. And if you leave here this service unsaved, then never let the devil trick you into believing that I must do it when I get back next Sunday or next Wednesday or the next time I get back to church. No, my friend, you can call upon the Savior at a moment's notice and he will be there for he is ever present. 
And finally, let me deal with this particular point. Is that sometimes we are unaware of his conviction. We're unaware of his conviction because we do not sense or we do not have within us a great understanding or as great of an understanding as we should of God's ever presence. Let me read to you John 16, 8 through 11. The Bible says, speaking of the, again, the Spirit of God, and when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and see him, and you see him no more. Of judgment because the prince of the world is judged. You see, the Bible is teaching us here in John chapter number 16 that the Holy Spirit of God was sent that he might bring to us conviction of heart. God's all-seeing eyes should bring to us a level of comfort, but it should also bring to us a layer of conviction. It should stun our hearts to know that God is everywhere at all times. I don't believe there is one Christian in here that can last very long underneath the almighty, all-powerful, convicting hand of God. You'll begin to tremble. You'll begin to fear. You'll begin to quake. It's too much for us. A believer that takes... This heart to doctrine, that tr- this doctrine to heart truly believes that God is everywhere. And that that means, that that means that there is not one sin that goes unaccounted for in the sight of God. One sin that cannot go unaccounted, unaccounted for. That is why you oftentimes you find people that are unrepentant of their sin. Believers that are unrepentant of their sin. What is the first thing they stop doing? They stop coming to church. Because they can't stand it. They can't be there. They they don't want to be there. Why? Because it hurts their heart. They know they sense the conviction of God. They know that the word of God. Just by, I mean, you could preach on tithing. You know what I mean? And somebody, uh, you know, could have lied to their mom or lied to uh, to their employer about something. I mean, and you could be preaching on... I mean, husbands love their wives or something like that. And, and I mean, they're just convicted by the hand of God because just the, the simple fact of God's word being open to them, there's all of a sudden there's this overwhelming conviction about themselves. I mean, I may be preaching on the presence of God this morning, but I mean, uh, there's something in your heart right now that maybe God has brought up. He's, he's brought it up to the surface. He's kind of wiggled. Have you ever um, taken maybe a bucket or something like that, and kind of just sift it out, and and you see things that start to come to the surface and and everything, and that's kind of what God's Word does. I mean, you can take a glass of water and and some oil and shake it all up and everything, and that's kind of like sin in our life. You just shake it all up, but you let that thing sit there for long enough, then what happens? Sooner or later, that oil starts to surface, doesn't it? And that's what happens with the Word of God. Is that the word of God brings our sin to surface. It brings it to light. Church brings it to light. That's why it's important that we come to church. It's important that we come to church in order that we may hear the preaching of the word of God. So that maybe we've missed something during the week that we can be more right with God. It's not that the preacher can get on to you. No, but that we can be right and in right fellowship with the Lord. That's what believers want to be. We want to be right with God in order that we might have fellowship with God, in order that we might have our prayers answered, amen, in order that we might have a good relationship with God and thereby a good relationship with others, amen, because if this relationship here is not right, then these relationships in front of me will not be right either, and the relationship perhaps of your spouse that is sitting beside you this morning won't be right either, 
or the relationships that you have at work won't be right either. Understand this morning that God's all-seeing eye brings a level of conviction. But let me say this too, and I spoke to this just a moment ago, but let me say this too. Is that God not only sees everything that we do, and even every sin that we do, but the Bible also teaches us that God even sees all the wickedness and the wicked people in this world. Let me encourage you, Christian. Never think to yourself one time, one time that God does not see what is happening in the world around you. Don't you ever believe that? That is a lie straight out of the pit of hell. God is in every bar. He is in every porno shop. He is in every casino. He is in every house of ill repute. He is in every home that deals drugs. He is in every abortion clinic. He is in every place that deals wickedly and ungodly. God is there and sees all things. If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, as I said earlier, behold, thou art there. God sees it all. He hears every dirty joke. He sees every lie. He sees every corruption. He knows about every murderer, every rapist. There are no unsolved mysteries, unsolved murders, unsolved crimes with God. There are none. Every lie, God sees. Every adulterer, God sees. And don't you ever think or get a false notion that God doesn't see and that God doesn't take notice. He says, I know and I see these things. And we must all give an account with whom we have to do. What does that mean? We all have to give an account before God. Does that mean you? Yes. But that means the whole world has to give an account before God. Before God. My, many of you know this, and you've heard me tell this illustration before, but my mother-in-law's brother was stabbed to death at seven years old in his own home, and nobody knew why or who it was. And it was about 55 years later that God brought the thing to light. A man was driving in South Texas and pulled over for a DUI. He was tested in that particular county. It was uh, mandated that every uh, suspect that was brought under DUI case, they had just put into an act that they should also be collecting their DNA. And in the collection of the DNA, his DNA matched the DNA that was also found at the crime scene over 55 years ago. That man's now in prison, he's in jail. But a more scary thing for that man is this, is that he'll have to stand before God one day. He'll have to stand before God. And the thing about it is this, my friend, is that the Bible says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Vengeance is mine. Not revenge. Did you know that's what the Bible says? God never gets revenge. Revenge is that Bruce hits me, I hit Bruce. That's revenge. Uh, revenge is that somebody says bad, something bad about me, I'll say something worse about them, right? Uh, somebody eggs my car, then I'm going to smash out their windows. You know what I mean? That's revenge, okay?